the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Ralph Waldo Emerson has a great quote regarding this. He says, all that I have seen teaches me to trust the Creator for all that I cannot see. Let me just say that again because it's so beautiful. All that I have seen teaches me to trust the Creator for all that I cannot see. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus Christ like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhillchurch.com. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. You can see Stephen's giving them a pretty strong message. But I think he's doing what every preacher sometimes does. He realizes his time is running out. So he hits some pretty big heroes real quickly. (laughs) We have Joshua and David and Solomon kind of summing up one last point. Let's look at it. Verse 45. Our fathers, in turn, brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nation that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the day of David. So Joshua got one verse, and now we're on to David. Who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for God of Jacob. One verse for David, and now Solomon. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet, here's the point, the Most High God does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? What is my place of rest? This is the climax of his message. And he uses Joshua and David and Solomon and the temple that Solomon finally built to explain the climax. And here's what I think he's saying, if you allow me a little liberty. Be careful about putting God in a box. Even in a religious box. Remember who he's talking to? The Jewish leaders. Are these things true? Yeah. Yeah, our forefathers built the temple. But don't you dare forget that even as they built the temple, God was saying, just remember, I don't dwell in the houses made by men. Our God is bigger than you think. If I were to ask in the tribe that I hang out with, kind of some of my friends, the the people that kind of journey through theology with me, one of the greatest challenges today is, is people get too much in their heads. They, they think they can figure out God, and so they have their systems and, and their theologies and, and their theories of this must be the way that God's got to work. And yes, students, study to show yourself approved, but don't you dare forget this. You can't put God in your box, even if it's some religious box that your favorite podcast has taught you or your author or your preacher that you like has taught you. You can't put God in a box. 1 Kings 8 says, but will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. 
<laughs> I think Stephen was saying that God's ultimate plan was way different than what the religious community thought. And I would tell you, if the Lord Jesus Christ began to walk and talk through the church of America like he did in the churches in the book of the Revelation, I think he would tell us, hey, this isn't what I had in mind. The church is way different. Wow, what a message. His last words. (laughs) He laid it on pretty thick. Could you do that, by the way? We're not there yet in our country, but we could be one day. Some of us could live long enough. If you were were challenged for your faith, and it was asked of you, are these things really true? Prove it. Could, Could you take the Scriptures? That's what Stephen did. Could you take the Scriptures and say, yeah, let me walk you through. That's what every Christ follower is called to be equipped to do. 1 Peter 3 verse 14. But even if you suffer for righteous sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Do it with gentleness and respect. Are you ready? I I would tell you, you can't be ready if you don't know the word of God. So if this is a book that you don't ever open, or or frankly, though it is so helpful, if the extent of your time in the Word is the the little bit that you pull up you version, if you're not diving into the Word of God and memorizing it and, and being discipled by the living Word of God, you're living in disobedience because the Bible says, Psalm 119, 11, I've stored your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Verse 105, your word is a light unto my feet, a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. Get into the word. But let's get back to Stephen's conclusion. He quotes the prophets. When he gives his accusers their indictment. So up to this point, he's just been telling a story. Now we come to the application. Just like we're about to do in this message. Every message has that. You you have what scripture teaches. That's the explanation. And then you say, how do I apply this to my life? Well, Stephen uses a quote from scripture for his application. Listen to it. Verse 51. It's really encouraging. (laughs) You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. By the way, just as your fathers did, so do you. What is he saying? Well, let me just explain this to you, just in case you don't understand it, because we need to say, could any of this be said to us? First of all, he's saying, you're more known by what you're unwilling to do than anything else. That's what it means by being stiff-necked. We talked about it last week. If you're stiff-necked, that means you can't turn like this. So all you see is your way. And that's what you're known for. Could that be said of you? It's fair at least to ask that question. Are you known most by what you're unwilling to do? Secondly, he's saying you're religious... But your religion is empty. 
So you followed the rules like circumcision, but your heart has not been changed. And so he's making very clear that living outwardly as a person of faith and experiencing inward change is not the same thing. Even being able to recite scripture, to follow the rules, to do those things that religious people do is not enough if your heart has not been changed. You might be religious, but your religion is empty. And then he says, the most grievous of all these sins, you have resisted the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible talks about us grieving his spirit. I think about that in my life, and and even as my leadership as a pastor. I I want to live the remainder of my life in such a way that, that I don't feel like I have to figure everything out, that I'm open to the Holy Spirit doing what he wants to do in my life and through my life. Are, are you that way? Or do you resist the Holy Spirit because you say, I didn't see that coming. I don't know how it's going to turn out. I've never done it that way before. Well, oh, that those charges would not be made against us. A quick pop quiz. So that was his application, that one verse. How do you think that was received? (laughs) I mean, I've heard people say after a message, preacher, you really stepped on my toes today. Let me just say, this was not received well. Listen to the response. Verse 54. Now, when they heard these things, (laughs) I can't even say this without laughing. When they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. If you're reading from, I think the NIV, it says, they gnashed their teeth. When else do we hear about the gnashing of teeth? Yeah, in the description of hell. So they were mad as hell. It was not received well. But he, this is Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. They saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears. They rushed together at him and they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And, and we know that that's speaking of his death. So what can we learn from Stephen that teaches us to live as if we're dying? Three things. Number one, determine to be full of the Spirit of God no matter what. So you see a contrast in these verses. You see those that were so angry, they were gnashing their teeth. They were full of anger. And then you see Stephen described as full of the Spirit of God. You will be full of something. Some of you have come in today full of jealousy, full of anger, full of bitterness, full of resentment. 
full of pride. When we first meet Peter, he is full of the Spirit. He's a deacon. You see this in Acts chapter 6, verse 5. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit. He was full of the Spirit. They were full of anger. By the way, this is in the present tense. It literally means being full. Now, why is that significant? But Because it reminds us That it's a daily job. Theologically, we receive the Spirit of God when we begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. But daily, we must pray, Lord Jesus, fill me anew with your Spirit. Just a quick test. How do I know if I'm full of the Spirit? My life will bear the Spirit's fruit. Remember Galatians 5? The fruit of the Spirit are, remember some of those, love, joy, peace, patience, etc. When my life is full of the Spirit of God, I'm changed. And if I'm daily filled, by the way, you know what that means? I don't have to have a deathbed confession, and I don't have to make last-minute adjustments. That's the way I want to live. If you've just joined us, You're listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Video of the message you're listening to is available when you click the Watch tab at MissionHillChurch.com. Thanks for sharing time with us and for sharing your financial gifts by clicking the Give button at MissionHillChurch.com. And now, with more of today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. When you're yielded to the Spirit of God, you remember you're under His control even when the people and circumstances around you are out of your control. That's how I want to live. Determined to be full of the Holy Spirit of God. Number two, fix your eyes on Jesus and gaze upon His glory. So it says He was full of the Holy Spirit and He gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. Stephen's message began by him speaking about the glory of God, and it ended by him seeing the glory of God, which reminds us that everything in our life really is to be about what? The glory of God. So Paul would tell the church at Corinth, whatever you do, whether you eat, sleep, drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. What is the glory of God? The pleasure of God. I want to live in such a way to bring and give God pleasure. We do everything For the glory of God. He was not only gazing on the glory of God, his eyes were fixed on Jesus. And that's where we see that when your eyes are on Jesus, it changes your perspective. Because we don't see him weeping about his death. We don't see him asking God to kill those who are about to kill him. We we don't even see him arguing with God about how he got into the situation. We We see him submitting to the will of God. Because his eyes was on Jesus. Lastly, on that point, I I want you to see something. What was Jesus doing? He was standing. Is this usual? 
It's not usual. Let me illustrate it. Mark chapter 14, verse 62, Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. Colossians 3, 1, if, you, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Hebrews 10, 12, but when Christ had offered up all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews 12, 2, look to Jesus, the founder, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The normal position of Jesus in heaven is he's seated. Why is he seated? Because he's done everything he needs to do. There's no more work to be done. But here he's standing. Why? I want to give you three reasons. He's standing, first of all, to show his concern for his child, his son, Stephen. And I want you to know, no matter what you're going through today, no matter what persecution, circumstance, difficulty you're facing, he perfects those things that concern you. You can cast your cares upon him because he does care for you. He was standing to show his concern, but he was also standing to show his confidence. He's saying, you really can do this. You can keep on keeping on. You can press on. You can fight the good fight. You can stay in the game. You don't have to tap out. You can finish the race. You can do this, Stephen. And then I think he was saying, I'm standing because I'm cheering him on. I'm just telling you, we've watched our sons grow up and now we've got two left that are in sports. One's in soccer and one's in basketball. And so whether I'm sitting on a chair out by the soccer field or where I'm sitting in the bleachers uh, in a basketball uh, court, the, the reality is I'm usually sitting. But when my sons get the ball, I stand up. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not one of those parents that coach from the sidelines and neither should you be but I am one that cheers regardless of their age. And I cheer them on. And that's what Jesus does for his children. He was doing what he promised to do. He was acknowledging the one who had acknowledged him. Remember that? Luke 12, 8, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the son of men will acknowledge before the angels of God. Are you acknowledging him before men? Because if you possess him, you must profess him. If you're not professing him, no one sees that you claim to possess him. Well, when your eyes are fixed on Jesus, (laughs) this is a good conclusion to Stephen's message and Paul Stephens' message. Um, When your eyes are fixed on Jesus, you begin to see others through his eyes. And so Stephen says something cray-cray. He says, oh, Lord, don't hold this against him. Reminds us of Jesus, right? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So the last thing I tell you, if I want to live like I'm dying, I need to forgive, forgive, and forgive again. I don't know if I'm ever more like Jesus than when I forgive. That's, that's a hallmark of the faith. 
That's why it says in Colossians chapter 3, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Matthew 6.14, the words of Jesus, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Boy, when you learn to forgive, you learn to live and die in peace. And if I would were to be asked the number one sin in the church today. Yeah, I wouldn't say alcohol, so, though that's a sin for a lot of people. I wouldn't say drugs. I wouldn't even say pornography, though that's a heinous sin that's affecting many lives and marriages. I would say the number one sin in the church today is unforgiveness. And it's crippling us because bitterness is that poison that we drink and we wait for somebody else to die. Resentment and unforgiveness keeps us from God's best. When you forgive, you live and you die in peace. So there you have it. <laughs> Stephen's last message, and then he dies. And by the way, I think when Jesus was cheering him on, here's what he was saying Well done. <laughs> well done, my good and faithful servant. And then he dies. And you know what happened? For Stephen, it was a moment of coronation. Because the Bible teaches us he gets the crown of the martyrs. For the Israelites, for the children of Israel, it was a, a moment of condemnation. Because once again, they had rejected the truth of the gospel. For the church, it was a moment of liberation. Because all who followed Stephen would say and see, this world is not our home and death is not the end. But there's another guy who was there. Remember that? His name was Saul at that time. He would later be named Paul. And I believe for Saul, this would lead to salvation. Because I believe what took place there with that prayer of Stephen softened the heart of Saul so that when he would come in contact with Jesus, he would have the opportunity to say, yeah, this really is the deal. In fact, Augustine would say, the church owes Paul to the prayer of Stephen. It just reminds us when we live like we're dying, we influence all kinds of people in our little corner of the world. You never know the difference you'll make when you live like you're dying. Stephen, he just got two pages. But old Paul, he wrote a large part of the Bible. Apart from Jesus, the greatest missionary who ever lived consequence. So really what I'm just trying to say to you is you get to choose the mark you're going to make. You get to choose the life you're going to live. You get to choose what's going to stain and set you apart. So the queen and the princess of the Purvis pack have left the palace. They're out of town for a little bit. And so me and the boys kind of had an assignment to get some things cleaned up. And they have been great. They have done it. But I don't want to be too crass. But just to let you know, this morning I realized, Houston, we had a problem. Because as I looked at the toilet, it was not blue like it was supposed to be. Because I had put one of those blue tablets in there. And so, as if I had plenty of time preparing to preach four times and get ready to come to church, I decided to kind of dabble with the toilet water a little bit. So I took off the lid and I looked down and sure enough, this blue tablet was kind of lodged in such a way that it was producing no blue color. And so I thought I can fix that. 
And so I put my hand down in there, and sure enough, when I moved it over, instantly the water became blue. When I flushed it, the toilet became blue. And when I took my hand out, I realized it was blue. Fortunately, you'd have to be real close to see that it is still some there. But it struck me. I can spend my life being stained by something as silly as toilet water. Or I can be marked for Christ, whatever the consequence. I don't know about you, but I want to learn to live like I'm living to die. If more of Him means less of me, I want Him to take care of me. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis, an outreach of Mission Hill Church. If you're looking for answers to difficult questions or searching for a church home, you're invited to any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. Details and directions at missionhillchurch.com. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement, but it can't be done without your financial support. Go to MissionHillChurch.com and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at MissionHillChurch.com. Weekdays at 9 a.m. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, a.m. 570 and 910.